time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And again, great thanks to Sheriff David Clark. What a great interview. I have people texting me, friends texting, saying, wow, that was a great interview. I really, really appreciate him. And he is a man on a mission to restore for the same reasons I do this show, the same reasons I talk about America, to restore the goodness, the greatness, the soundness of this country. And uh, he just, uh, I mean, he's a man on a mission to help uh, just restore the republic. So I'm grateful that he was in Dallas and I got to meet with him. So at the top of the second hour, I sometimes do the cruise through the news, and I have a stack of stories, and I want to get through. They all matter, but I'm not going to have time in those two hours once a week to get to them So I'm uh, in detail. So I'm just going to hit the highlights of them. So first is, the up, there is an upcoming election. You all likely know this. Um, in Alabama, it is for the uh, senator, and um, it's because uh, Jeff Sessions, a former Republican senator from Alabama, became attorney general. Um, and so this is now a, a, an election between Roy Moore, uh, the Republican guy, and the Democrat is Doug Jones. And Roy Moore, you know, Alabama's a pretty rock-solid Republican state, Assume the Republican would win. And then Roy Moore um, has been the recipient or victim, depending on how you look at it, of extreme, uh, you know, uh, uh, many, many attacks. Several of the more serious ones apparently um, are funded by even conservative PACs who don't like him. These are, they are rep- controlled by the GOP in Washington. Um, not every member of the GOP, but the uh, leadership in Washington who simply don't want Roy Moore serving in the, in the um, Senate. And so there have been stories about his alleged conduct um, 30, 40 years ago and um, claiming that uh, with young women and minors and, you know, it doesn't sound very good, but there's no proof at all. In fact, many of the accusations have started to fall apart. And, but, you know, whatever you think of that, I want to mention something I've been noticing online and on Twitter and an expression that people are throwing around. And I want to eviscerate this expression. People are saying, whether they are kind of establishment Republicans, Democrats, uh, just people who don't want people in Alabama to vote for Roy Moore, they're using the expression, even if you normally vote Republican— you should not vote for Roy Moore, or if you do, you're guilty of, and here's the expression, political tribalism. Okay, I cannot let that rest. Political tribalism, the, the idea being, you know, you just vote with your tribe no matter what they do, no matter how bad they are, no matter how evil, you just vote with them. That's wrong. That's evil. I got to tell you, folks. I do agree with people who say that, you know, we, and I say it often on this show, America is not about a combination of tribes. It is not about a combination of hyphenated groups that all together make up America. The idea of America is not tribal. It doesn't have tribes. The idea of America is about a unique, profoundly important experiment in in freedom for the human condition. And the idea of we the people, we govern this country. We the people have power. And the founding ideas of America are not racial. They're not ethnic. They don't have anything to do with your skin color or your ethnicity. They have everything to do with the notion of individual freedom, personal responsibility, rights from God simply because you were born, limited government, rule of law, all those pieces put together that made America. That's what America is. So tribalism does not belong in America. 
the idea I vote for anyone because he or she, because it's a woman or because it's a man or because he is black or he's white or he's Asian or Hispanic. That is not the reason to vote for anyone. The reason to vote for anyone, who you, how you choose who you vote for, is because of the ideas and principles and values they stand for. That's the reason to vote for anyone. But in this particular case, in, with, with Roy Moore, to vote with your party is not tribalism. If people are thinking, I don't know what happened with Roy Moore 30 or 40 years ago, but I don't want to have someone in Washington representing the voters of Alabama who believes in all these left-wing ideas that the Democrat stands for. It's not tribalism to say political tribalism doesn't belong, that it's an oxymoron, it, not an oxymoron, it doesn't go together. The idea that you vote for the person who stands for the values that you hold and the political party that stands for the values you hold, or you vote against the values of the other guy, that's, there's nothing wrong with that thinking. In fact, if you say, I would, uh, I would throw away all of my values... And all the things I think that Roy Moore will stand up for and the other guy will stand against because I want to be very sure to, to show my, you know, prove I can be tough on a Republican. That is undermining your job as a voter, undermining your place in the, in the electorate and the democracy and, the, and this democratic republic we have. So the, no, the political trial, that expression really bothered me because it's trying to shame people who would vote for Roy Moore to say you're being tribal and dark-minded and, and uh, somehow unenlightened. If you believe in the par- values of the Republican Party and you think Roy Moore is more likely to vote for those values than the Democrat, there's nothing tribal about voting that way in order for the larger purpose to be because you want to stand up for the values you think make America great and that's and you think that Roy Moore and the Republican Party stand for those values. Okay, I guess I'm only hitting that one story because we're already out of time in this segment. We'll be right back after this. And I'm going to explain everything about this ongoing mess with the CFPB in Washington. You do want to know this. Come right back. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. 
You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans, what is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, I'm going to get to this story about the, if you don't know what this is, CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Do not change the station. Do not think, oh, this is a boring part. This, what the Democrats pulled off, almost pulled off, and did pull off for several years with the CFPB, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, is mind blowing what they almost got away with, what they were trying to do and almost got away with. But before I get to that, I, you know, since we had a Sheriff David Clark on and he was talking about, you know, how much uh, President Trump changed the feel of America, changed the, the tone of politics, changed what he stood for, what he was going to do, what he was going to stand up for and how he just doesn't uh, surrender to, well, we always do it that way. I want to mention something else he did before I get to CFPB, which is a huge story. But there was a, a story just a couple of days ago about how the United States, our country, dropped out of the UN Global Compact on Migration. Migration being international, you know, international 
uh, movement of people, uh, migration from various countries, how we handle refugees. So the parting shot, one of the parting shots of President Obama after his second term, he's been there, had been there eight years, was he signed on to the New York Declaration for Refugees and Migrants. And many countries signed on to it. It was part of this United Nations effort to have a global uh, conversation about how do we, in this world, how do we, uh, countries, and I don't think it's even all de- all developed countries, but countries that are seeing the problem of migrants and, and refugees and people struggling to find a home. So what President Obama did, he didn't, of course, run it by the Senate he didn't make it a treaty. He, you know, as an individual, and maybe this doesn't have to, wouldn't have met the definition of treaty, but he unilaterally signed on on behalf of America to this thing called the New York Declaration for Refugees and Migrants. And essentially, this organization was going to meet and make a master global plan for who's going to take refugees, how many, where are they going to come from, and Along the lines of what so many people loved about President Trump is the notion that he had America drop out of this thing for the reason that he's saying, we in America, we make our immigration policy. We make our policy about refugees. We make our policy about migrants. We make our own policies. We are not going to continue to be part of something that is going to impose on us some agreement about migration and refugees and who can come here and how many and how many do we have to take, which is really, I think, a just a core and I, a, a brilliant example of what President Trump was trying to restore about America the notion of actual American sovereignty. He's not saying we won't take any more refugees, no more refugees, no more migrants, no more immigrants. He's not saying anything like that. But he's saying we're not going to make our policy based on what a bunch of countries in the U.N. decide when they come together. In fact, the statement by Nikki Haley, uh, who I just think is wonderful, our, our, our um, ambassador to the U.N., um, she, made, she had a statement that basically said, you know, we're going to, she said, the global approach is not compatible with our nation's sovereignty. But she said, you know, she wanted to emphasize that America determines its own policies. She represents. This is on behalf of President Trump. We decide our own policies. And, um, you know, she didn't say, um, we'll decide, she said, we'll decide best how to control our borders and who will be allowed to enter. And, of course, the United Nations General Assembly is having a fit about this. And they, they said, basically, you know, uh, they expressed regret, the U.S. Uh, leaving, saying no one nation can manage international migration alone, and the role of the U.S. in this process is critical as it has historically and generously welcomed people from all across the globe and remains home to the largest number of international migrants in the world. Hey, that was nice of them to admit that America, despite what the lefties are always trying to say, we take in lots of migrants, lots of immigrants, lots of refugees, the most in the world. But you see, over the last eight years under President Obama, and maybe even longer than that, we have surrendered clarity in our policies about who should come to America, what our criteria are, and what do we insist they do when they come here. Because it's a different thing 
to become American. It's not the same thing. As I use the example, and many others have, you can, you know, move to the country of Italy, and you can become a citizen of Italy, but you can't become Italian. Italian is a nationality. It is an ethnicity. You can never become that. When I was growing up, I used to wish I could become Italian. I'm just because I really love Italian food. I had a lot of friends who were Italian. My hometown had a lot of Italian uh, kids that I went to school with. I thought it was really cool to be Italian. But okay, I digress. Back to this point is that this concept of in America, we have a unique identity as a country. And to come to America and become American means you must embrace our ideas, our values, our rule of law, our system, our culture of liberty, our culture of religious freedom, our culture of respect for fellow. We have a, we have an entire culture that is uniquely American. And if we just simply surrender migration and immigration refugee policy to an international body without uh, our consideration, our standards about what it means to come to America and become an American, we lose a little bit of what America is. And we've watched this, of course, in the last several years as, as the refugee policies have we have had uh, people flooding into America, and we have whole areas of the country where we have massive numbers of refugees all in the same area, and, and, and especially in the Islamic immigration to various parts of the country, a, a complete, not just disinterest, but disdain for the idea of embracing the culture of America, of, of assimilating to our culture, to our way of, of governance and life and liberty. So anyway, that was another Trump thing. He's just, he's just not going to play the game like anybody else. And he's not going to, he wasn't afraid. He obviously, I'm going to guess, he knew he'd probably be criticized for saying we're pulling out this UN thing. And he's not saying we won't assist, that we won't take people, we won't fund people. He's just saying we're not surrendering America's sovereignty on this topic to some UN group. Amen to that. Okay. You might have been reading in Washington. Uh, you might have been reading about something happening in Washington, and I just, I probably can't get it all in before the break, but I, this is a really just textbook epitome, fabulous example of what kind of, what things people will do in Washington, mainly on the American left, who simply want control and power over your lives, who do not want to have, they, they want uh, they do not want accountability. They don't want to have to respond to the voters. They don't want. They want to uh, grab more and more power to themselves in an unaccountable way. And this is the organization, the entity called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. As a quick backdrop, and we're, well, I'm going to have to finish this after this break in a couple of minutes. But to start with, several years ago, um, Senator Elizabeth Warren brought up the idea, which is valid, that there should be insistence. There should be laws, and maybe there should be state laws, but insistence on transparency in financial and in, in banking documents so that you can understand what the documents mean, that you don't get duped or tricked by a financial institution because they created documents in a way that you can't comprehend what they mean. It was, I mean, it was a good, a good concept in, in principle. But out of the Dodd-Frank bill was born an entity called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB. What the Democrats wrote into this bill is mind-blowing. This organization was, uh, it was, I mean, there was a hassle over who was going to head it up, and finally the guy who is 
until recently was ahead of it. Uh, his, his name is Richard Cordray. He was head of it from uh, July 2013 until he just dropped out of that uh, like a month ago or something, yeah, November 24th, not even a month ago. So this entity, in order to insist that you know there be disclosure and clarity, understand what the various financial institutions are doing, you don't let them get out of control. But this is what this organization, the way the law was written, first of all, the structure of the organization meant is it's completely independent agency. It was even written into it, meaning it's not accountable to anyone on the planet. It was even written into it that even the president of the United States, the president could only fire the head of it for cause. Like he couldn't just change the head of the organization as you do with many other entities. The person put in place was going to stay there a long, long time, uh, number one. And then the other also was the funding of this comes from the Federal Reserve. So you, Congress can't defund it. Congress can't threaten to defund it. There's no control by your elected officials over this entity. It was completely operating outside the law, and that is just the problem. I just described for you just the problem with how it was set up. We come back, I'll tell you, the unbelievable, way past shenanigans, truly sinister stuff they've been doing. Don't go away. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. 
They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. So before the break, I was telling you about this. Uh, it's not kerfuffle means like a minor little fuss. It's a big fuss going on in Washington, D.C. Ended up in federal court over who gets to lead the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And do not think this is some boring organization that, you know, struggles with mathematical formulas for interest rates. This is not what this is. This was a monster created by the Democrats in the Dodd-Frank bill in which they created an entirely independent agency that is funded by the Federal Reserve, so Congress has no ability to defund, threaten their budget. They They operate completely independently. You know, the alleged goal originally was to make sure the financial institutions have, um, you know, are are have transparency that they treat people fairly blah blah but there was a which is a good goal but it's not what they did this became so corrupt so again the the way the law was written the president of the united states could not even fire the head of the organization without cause like you couldn't just say I'm coming in or she, so they have a woman president someday, come in and say we're removing this head and putting in somebody different. So in addition to those kind of things, which by itself was just mind-boggling, mind-blowing, um, they have a powerful media division um, that dictates policy to regula- regulatory professionals and exaggerates their achievements all the time. So they're all in the paper saying, wow, we're so great, we're so good. They stonewall congressional subpoenas. They don't respond to anything that they're asked about. And they are um, 
when anyone criticized, like Republicans say, what is this animal, this beast, this completely unregulated, you know, that we, the people, uh, the people's house, the Congress, the Senate doesn't have any ability to, Im- to impact this group. They were dismissed as Wall Street sycophants and made fun of. But let me just tell you some of the things this group actually did with the millions and millions and millions of dollars. This group diverted millions of dollars from CFPB, again, it is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, to Democrat Party allies. For example, from 2014 to 2017, they paid $11 million in rent to office space in an Obama fundraiser's building. This, the Dodd-Frank bill allowed them to send the civil money penalties, so they imposed penalties on banks and financial institutions. There's almost no way to get those decisions reviewed. You just, if you're the bank or the financial institution, you just pay. So they, they, they can take the civil money they get and collect it in enforcement actions to a trustee of their choice. So, of course, they enriched Democrat, Democrat Party affiliated trustees, transformed fines extracted from defenseless businesses based on their deep pockets rather than any proof of actual consumer harm of what these institutions supposedly did. And so over... $12 billion in damages returned to 29 million consumers. And to spread this propaganda, get this, they transferred money, paid over $43 million, over $43 million collected from banking and financial institutions around this country that they seemingly randomly penalized to have no recourse to fight them. Uh, They transferred it to a group called GMMB, which is a liberal advocacy group that created ads to help President Obama and the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. So the Democrats create something in Congress, you know, a a monster, no no ability to to uh, edit, find out what they're doing, to monitor, to understand. I mean, they just they operate independently and. and then they get the money that they impose, they inflict fines on businesses, and then they use that money to help Democrat causes. I mean, what a a slush fund does not begin to describe it. So, um, and then so there's Richard Cordray who t- took charge of it uh, in the first half of 2017. Um, he was promoting people from within, moving them up in the ranks to be toward the top of the group, so he could uh, have one of his employees become his successor rather than have a potential Republican president uh, appoint his successor. And so um, in June 30th, for example, of 2017, he awarded GMMB an additional $14.79 million contract. Ten days later, he delivered a gift bag to big Democrat donors in the plaintiff's bar— you know, as lawyers, the plaintiff's bar, uh, a rule banning financial businesses. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. So Cordray finally decides to retire and move on. He's going to go run for an office in Ohio, I think. So he was trying to say that some provision in, the, in this law let him appoint the new president of the organization, the new head of CFPB, that the president of the United States of America, elected by the people, had no right to appoint the head of the organization. This is a self-perpetuating Democrat scam. This is what this was. And so President Trump, again, doesn't play the inside political game. He just went ahead and appointed, when he when Richard Cordray tendered his resignation, um, he appointed Mick Mulvaney to take over this organization. At the same time, CFPB, that or, the organization, 
when this guy Cordray left, he appointed who he claimed to be next in line to become head of it. So literally, the both of them showed up for work last Friday morning, the one that Trump appointed and the one that Cordray wanted. And this notion, if you're not grasping this, (laughs) I mean, I hope I'm making it clear, this is the Democrat Party saying the elected members of the House and Senate and the popularly elected president of the United States have no right to have any control over this Democrat slush fund scam, you know, operation. It's mind-blowing. So they went to court, of course, and and I should back up. A year ago, uh, this organization ended up in court on the issue of whether or not this could even be constitutional that the president cannot remove the head of the organization. And fortunately, a sane judge got the case and said, in fact, as a matter of fact, you know, you cannot run this this scam outside the control of everybody funded by the Federal Reserve and have the president have no power. And it was a usurpation of the constitutional power of the executive branch to say that the president could not fire the head of the organization. So the court first decided that like a year ago or maybe more than that, year and a half ago, said, yeah, actually, you know, the president can uh, fire or remove the head of the organization, does not have to prove cause you know, at will, meaning the president can remove the head and put somebody else in. You know, without anyone's agreement that that, you know, about whether he did anything wrong, whether there was a for cause reason to fire the person. The president has that right. Of course, he does as head of the executive branch. But then it came back to the court this year because the Democrats, I mean, like 29 Democrats in the House and Senate together signed a letter trying to demand that this judge say that the president of the country has no right to appoint the head of this organization because they, the Democrats, want it to be a self-perpetuating Democrat scam. So fortunately, the court um, didn't see it that way. The court said uh, Trump was right. Mick Mulvaney's in charge. And part of what he's got to do, really, is just kind of put this agency out of our misery. I mean, it needs to be removed. It needs to be eliminated. But I guess to start with, um, he is going to begin settling some of the ridiculous lawsuits that the CFPB has inflicted on financial institutions. And don't get me wrong. Banks, financial institutions— Need regulation. I'm, I'm not. I'm not for free for all, wild west um, kind of thinking. But this particular organization was so egregiously formed, egregiously operating. Nobody accountable. No one. No accountability. Nobody there. And really, what the Democrats were attempting was a coup. Not throwing overthrowing government, but overthrowing the role of the executive branch in this kind of organization. And it was all set up under Dodd Frank. So uh, that was what was going on with this week. And I thought it was actually a pretty darn important story, really important story to recognize what Democrats will do. Big government people. I mean, if Republicans did it, it would be just as bad. The notion of some unaccountable agency attacking American business with no accountability, no way to be stopped. That's crazy. So, again, Trump stood up. We love it. Okay. I did. Actually, I thought about starting the show tonight on the subject of the um, decision by the jury in California. Changing the subject entirely. Uh, The jury in California that decided um, that found the um, man who killed Kate Steinle, um, and his name is Jose Ines Garcia Zarate, and I'm just going to call him uh, Mr. Zarate, the defendant, he was found not guilty of all charges except gun possession. 
He he was found guilty of possessing a gun, which is pretty hard to argue since he had a gun. But I want to talk about this when we come back, not just, I, I mean, on several levels, because it's not just a miscarriage of justice and a failure on the part of the judicial system and the jury system to um, hold someone accountable for his conduct. It's it's a much bigger thing than that. Because what you're seeing in California with the exalting of the sanctuary state thinking, the exalting of illegal immigrants as being more important, more valuable, more the victims um, over the rights of American citizens. This is what really was going on in that case. And, you know, even they couldn't even find him guilty of involuntary manslaughter, which I'm not going to lawyer you to death. But I'm going to tell you what the definition of that is shocking. They couldn't even get him on that. So we're going to close up tonight, I think, by talking about Kate Steinle. Don't go away. We'll keep on talking about America. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. There's a lot of talk today among media and academia in our culture about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans, what is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. 
program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I feel like I say this every week, but this is the fastest two hours of my week. It races by, and sometimes it's kind of fun. We have the Facebook Live um, running, and people are commenting, and uh, actually friends are watching Facebook Live and then texting me. So love having on Facebook Live. Um, And, you know, if you can see the desk, you know I have about 25 more things I'd like to talk with you about, but we're almost out of time. I do want to take at this, uh, before I get back into Case Steinle, which is a profoundly important issue, not just the case, but what represents what was happening to America. But um, on this, I want to first thank the sponsor of our show. GC Works is a Dallas-based company. They perform research in advanced technology and deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. So grateful for them. Could not do the show without them. I also met at the beginning of the show to say hello and just thank you so very much for our uh, new stations carrying the show. Thank you to 960 The Patriot in Phoenix, AM 1460 and FM 11.1 in Colorado Springs. We're on in Columbus, Georgia and Peoria, Illinois. Love talking to all of you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I also want to tell you something important and new that I'm doing. So at home, I had a, a studio kind of made up. Um, and I had someone who's actually smart about these things uh, set up a lovely, uh, got the right kind of lights so I can just do podcasts from home because I would love to talk to you more often. And so uh, I am going to start doing podcasts from home and they will always be uh, Facebook Live at same place, America Can We Talk. I'm not doing it for my personal page, but on my America Can We Talk Facebook page, I'll be doing podcasts. If you check that page, I'll let you know when I'm doing them. And also, if you're not on our email list, we do send emails out letting people know about the show each week. And the email, if you want to join that list, you can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. All my radio email goes to americacanwetalk at gmail.com. We also have a studio hotline. If you see guests coming and upcoming shows and you'd like to ask them a question, it's a 24-hour studio recording hotline. Call and it's at 214-556-5659. Please feel free to call that and leave that number. So, okay. Uh, so that is uh, the kind of the 
housekeeping things I wanted to mention to you, but I'd love to have you uh, tune in more often on Amer- on the um, Facebook Live as I'll do the shows from home. I mean, I'll do more things from home. Okay, back to Kate Steinley. And I know you all know these facts, so I'm just going to, in the quickest way, review them. So Kate Steinley was killed in 2015. Um, she was on the pier in San Francisco with her dad and a friend and a bullet. I mean, she was killed by a gun and she was, uh, you know, died very quickly and she's a beautiful young woman and, you know, was just out for a lovely walk on the, on one of the piers in San Francisco, the shooter undisputed. The shooter is the gentleman I mentioned a moment ago. Um, Jose Ines Garcia Zarate. There's several, and, and so what the jury found, and I want to just, I guess I'm going to hit the legal issue first. The jury originally was charged and told at the start he was going to be charged with second-degree murder, and that the differentiation, differentiation between first- and second-degree murder uh, about, you know, malice in your heart, like intentional, uh, the degree of intentionality. And he was, he was charged with involuntary manslaughter. And just what you, so you know, Involuntary manslaughter is the unlawful killing of another human being without intent. In fact, involuntary manslaughter is usually a lesser included charge in drunk driving cases where a driver didn't mean he got drunk and drove and he and and then ended up killing someone. You know, it's it's it could be voluntary manslaughter too, but I mean involuntary manslaughter truly it it is distinguished from voluntary manslaughter. Because there is no intent required. So in this case, involuntary manslaughter. So what the guy did, he was, you know, if you believe his version of the story, he found this gun wrapped in some cloth or something on the pier. And he picked it up. He changed the story several times about what happened. But the point is, he fired the gun. And it um, bounced off something because the bullet had some cement in it from the pier. And then and entered Kate Steinle's heart and, and killed this beautiful young woman. This guy, the, the shooter, was an illegal immigrant. He'd been deported numerous times, numerous times sent home, and uh, he had a second-grade education. He kept wandering across the border. Uh, he was barely literate. Um, he'd been deported five times. Um, he'd also completed a federal sentence in March of 2015 for his sixth time he committed the felony of re-entering the country and then he'd been sent to the San Francisco County Jail to serve time after that for a marijuana charge uh, because he had two decades ago um, been charged and didn't show up you know he didn't show up for sentencing and, and so he was sent to serve that time for this marijuana charge the point is they had him in custody and they had him in custody and the sheriff in that town in San Francisco Ross Mirkarimi not only uh, ignored the marijuana charge and basically let him go, but when he went back to that San Francisco jail, this sheriff knew that the federal authorities, ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, had a warrant and they asked, not had a warrant, had this and, and they had made an ICE detainer request, asked the sheriff to say when he's done serving his sentence, give him to us so we can deport him again. And the sheriff would not comply because they are a sanctuary city. In fact, since that time, California is now a sanctuary state. So this guy felt, the sheriff felt he was doing the morally superior thing to not turn over this guy 
to the ICE to have him deported, instead let him loose on the streets of San Francisco, where he later killed Kate Steinle. So there are a bunch of points I want to make about this, because this is not just about a, a you know crazy jury going awry, although they did go awry. Number one was, there is no logical explanation for not finding him guilty of involuntary manslaughter. He, I mean, if you believe his story, and, and apparently, the, as I say, the bullet bounced off the cement in the pier, so apparently he may not have been aiming at her, but he was at least firing a gun in a, in a place full of tourists walking around a crowded place. But there is no question he's guilty of involuntary manslaughter. So the jury is six women, six men, sitting there watching this case and deciding they have more sympathy for the illegal immigrant who might otherwise have been deported than they had for the family of this young girl whose life was ended for no cause of her own, no, no fault of her own. Her life was ended, and they could not find themselves an, you know, able to even convict him of involuntary manslaughter. Very problematic. A step further or higher is that in our culture of sanctuary cities where it happens around the country, we have them in Texas, so I'm not blaming just California. We have them in Texas where we think the moral high ground is to sympathize with people who enter America illegally, refuse to cooperate with the federal authorities, refuse to follow the rule of law, and say somehow feel morally superior protecting someone illegal and who has no right to be here, then we feel protecting the, uh, the lives of innocent people who are the victims of their conduct. Or e- even if they're not, these people aren't criminals, they, they do not have a right to be here, and we feel morally superior protecting them from the rule of law, from the notion of law. And an even deeper or higher point, whichever way you want to say it, is that this is occurring this case is occurring in the context of some of the things we were talking about on this show a few weeks ago when Kelly Kohlberg was on. This idea that there is an effort within this country, George Soros uh, and his Open Society Foundation, a you know multi-multi-B, as in boy, billionaire guy, who is funding all sorts of organizations driven and determined to undermine the notion of, of, of American sovereignty, of, of the American identity as a country, as a country based on the rule of law. It is, a, it is an attempt over time through a variety of organizations to not just destroy, but to shame and make people feel they're being petty and closed-minded and, and, low, and low life or, or ignorant if they think that we have a right and a and a that is a noble good thing to stand up for the identity of America. And this jury result is one outcome of that kind of thinking. You know, Soros has these interfaith organized progressives, you know, whether it's private, institutionalized, they have spent millions conditioning America and the European Union, what's happening in Europe, to tear down international borders 
and private boundaries, the notion that we think we, ha- we should have a secure border, we should have an, a meaning to the idea of citizenship, we should have a meaning to the idea of the identity, the culture of America. This is a, this is a shaming by Soros and his ilk in this country where people get, have gotten around after, after really two decades or more of the Soros money and influence and dozens and dozens of organizations putting out these kind of messages that we somehow feel we are being more noble if we reject American identity. We reject the idea of, of sovereignty. We reject the idea of the identity of our country mattering. And so that mindset penetrates. It is this small verdict in, in the grand scheme of life and on the planet, this small verdict, corrupt and horrible and sad and wrong and unfair as it was, is the byproduct of the kinds of things Soros does. And during the campaign last year, when President Trump, it was, you know, candidate Trump made reference to the Kate Steinle being murdered for no reason at all in broad daylight on a public pier where, uh, where tourists were around. This was pounced on by Slate and other liberal sources where they talked about Trump even making reference to this killing by this illegal immigrant as stoking the fears of primary voters, um, as stoking racism and and urging people in America to reject people who don't look like them. Slate and many others on the American left try to make Americans feel guilty for asserting the idea that we actually can have a national identity that matters. It matters if you're here legally. It matters if you're not. Okay, folks, I'm going to run out of time, which just bothers the daylights out of me because I have a lot more to say and we're almost out of time. But I do want to encourage you, again, go to our Facebook page, America Can We Talk, like the page, see our videos, watch for postings for upcoming podcasts, Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. And on Twitter, I'm on at Debbie Can We Talk because I'll be doing some new things next few weeks. I want you to stay in touch with me. And again, thank you for listening and come back every week where we talk truth about America. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.